Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in learning more about what it's like to work in television programming, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest is a senior executive at BET, where she leads the scripted development team of the original programming department at BET and its sister streamer, BET+. But before I introduce you to Rose Catherine Pinkney, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays, and it's got unique insights into dozens of different industries from the professionals who are actually working in them. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Rose Catherine Pinkney, a creative senior level executive who has worked at TV networks, studios, and independent production companies. Over the last three decades, Rose Catherine has developed content in the scripted arena that includes comedy, drama, TV movies, and miniseries, as well as in the unscripted arena, and that includes pretty much the kitchen sink. Alternative, reality, reality competition, comedy, variety, talk and game shows, docu-series, documentaries, and specials. And she currently leads the scripted development team of the original programming department, as well as staff for BET and its sister streamer, BET+. In this role, Rose Catherine is charged with developing scripted content for the critically acclaimed 20s, First Wives Club, and American Soul. She also oversees all current productions, including hits like Being Mary Jane and its finale movie, Tales, a hip-hop anthology series, and the Kevin Hart comedy, Real Husbands of Hollywood. Before joining BET, Rose Catherine worked for a whole range of companies, including TV One, TV Land, Cinema Gypsy Productions, and Paramount Network Television, where she was an SVP and head of comedy development. She worked there for nine years. She also worked at 20th Century Fox TV, where she was there, I guess, about five years. Rose Catherine, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you still caffeinated and ready to go? Caffeinated and ready to go. Yes. Yes, I am. Rose Catherine is so caffeinated. While I was reading this (laughs) introduction, she was like multitasking and trying to clean up her purse. And I caught her because see, my headphones hear everything, everything. So we had to re-record that. It's so hard because she's been incredibly patient. She's already done like a 45 minute interview. And here we go again. But now we are digging into what she does now at BET. So let's kick things off by better understanding what you do as a senior executive and head of scripted development at BET slash Viacom, because it's part of a much bigger company now. First of all, what is scripted development? So everyone loves to watch television shows and they have to start somewhere. And what happens is that content creators and writers have ideas that they would like to make, get produced, and have them air somewhere. And development is the process by which this happens. So as a development executive, writers, producers, sometimes directors, people with ideas come to me and my team and they pitch us ideas. And if we like them, if we think they work well for our network, 
we buy them. We may commission a script. So we'll say, hey, we kind of, we like that idea. Why don't you write us one script? And then the writer goes and they write the script and we may give them notes, our, our thoughts, any concerns we have, and they may go back and do a little bit more work. And ultimately we end up with a script, a pilot script, we call it. And then we as a network may decide whether we will move forward. Sometimes we decide that we're actually going to take that project and cast it and shoot it and we'll make one pilot. If you're really lucky, and my network does this sometimes, we will read a script that we really like and decide that we're going to make a whole series. So we'll decide we're going to make 10 of them or 12 of them just based off that one script. So development, the development team We look for these ideas. We look for writers and people with really good concepts that would work for our network. We read books. We go to other movies. We go to plays. We look at the news. We Sometimes we find an idea that we like and we might call a writer that we like and say, hey, we're really interested in this topic. Is there, you know, could you do a little research on this? Is there some, is there a TV idea in here somewhere? And so basically... We are kind of like in-house producers in a sense, because we are working with the idea, with the show creator. We're working with the directors. We work with the casting department to help get a show cast once we've decided we're going to make it. We work with the production department when they're figuring out, you know, who will do wardrobe, who will do hair, what what is the location that we're going to shoot in. So we're basically a department that gets to be involved in all kinds of aspects of making TV shows. And I, I laugh all, all the time without actually having a skill set in any of those areas. <laughs> I always laugh. I'm like, I don't write, I don't direct, I don't act, but I sure can tell you a lot about it. <laughs> and what is the difference between scripted development and current programming? Okay. Very important difference. So developers are the people who cannot come up with the idea, but work with the original idea from the inception and try to get it in shape so that it can be turned into a series. Or by the way, same thing. Well, it's a little different in the movie business, but current programmers, those are the executives or or current programming is the part of the business where once a show is kind of up and running and you've decided that you're going to make a bunch of them, then executives take over and they stay with the show forever for all the seasons and all the episodes. It's kind of like the idea of I am the birth mother, not not me. And I don't want to say birth mother necessarily because a creator is actually the birth mother. But we help the baby come to life and then we hand it off to current programming executives and they adopt the baby and they take care of it and grow it into adulthood. So it's, it's kind of like your guardian. (laughs) You've appointed a guardian. Yes. And it is really interesting that many great developers started out as guardians. They started out in current programming. The thought is it is one thing to sell an idea, like, you know, to have a pilot where we've got one episode that we had to get right. One episode where we had twice as much time, twice as much money to make it, and we only have to make one. But once the show becomes a series, as an executive, you are responsible for making sure that you make one of those, maybe a week, 10 days, but that you make a bunch of them in a row. And so all the things that we had the luxury of having months to prepare to do, to cast, to rewrite a script, to change some dialogue, to pick the best location, now they are doing on a weekly basis with a lot less time and they have to do it over and over again. So both jobs are really hard. You know, it is often said that in development, you're very much sales. I, I'm trying to get you to decide that I'm making this one, but I want you to buy a hundred. But it's the current programmers have to make those 100. So what happens is any of the little flaws or things, things that may have worked well when you made one may not work so well when you're making 100. And so current programmers get the best education in what makes shows work because they're doing it week after week after week. And even as they're making the same show, they've still got to make it fresh every week and tell a new story. So it's just, it's an amazing skill set to have. 
I believe that it's harder than development because again, you've got to do it consistently and repetitively in a, in a tight time frame. What are all of your responsibilities as a senior exec and head of scripted development? Well, I think all development executives do the same thing, no matter what level you're at. So I'm, I'm just going to speak from, from that space in development, you are constantly looking for new ideas that can come from anywhere. Again, a book, a movie, a writer who's another, you read another script of his and you like how they think somebody has a life story. Somebody wants to do someone else's life story. Somebody's had an experience. Ideas come, you read an article or somebody comes in with an article that is about a certain work experience. And so you decide you're going to do a show set in that kind of a workplace. You are constantly looking for new ideas and constantly trying to choose the ones that will work for your company. And once you do that, I think I kind of went through the process. You decide you'll buy a script and you have the writers write it. And sometimes you're giving them notes because, you know, it might be something like, hey, you you have a woman who's 22 years old as the next door neighbor. But our audience is a little older than that. Are you willing to make that 22 year old a 32 year old instead? And how does that change the story that you're trying to tell? So we're kind of involved like from the very beginning to the very end. The other thing to know is that a lot of companies, they executives do both development and current programming at the same time. So at BET, I get to do both. We both kind of help choose the ideas, help shepherd them into series, and then you get to stay with the series and work on all the episodes. So that's kind of a a luxury for us. But some places divide it up very much so that once you develop a show, you very cleanly hand it off to the current programming department and they take it over. So you're wearing both hats. Yes. I'd also like to talk a little bit about current programming as well, because as the guardians, as we decided to call them, or adoptive parents, they walk beside the show every day. So they deal with all the internal departments. They may deal with the promo guys. They want to make sure that the promo guys come out and and shoot some commercials and get the key art so they can put out a big one sheet with the picture of the cast. They work with the legal department to to make sure that we're not saying anything wrong or, or, you know, stuff needs clearing to make sure that we can say a different brand name. On a daily basis, they're doing all the creative stuff that we did as development executives, but they're doing it every day on different scripts. They're watching rough cuts of the shows once they're shot. And again, giving notes, giving their, you know, their thoughts and critiques and concerns. They are dealing with an actor who wants to quit or a writer who's not doing well, or, you know, a producer who's decided that the direction they're heading in isn't the correct direction. And now you have to stop for a minute and figure out, you know what, do we keep this character around or do we decide to move them away? So they leave the show literally on a daily basis. There are so many things that you can be involved in when you are either a development or a current executive that have to do with the well-being of your show. Some of those things are internal when you're dealing with the other internal departments. You might be dealing with post-production they or, or you might be dealing with scheduling. They want to put the show on the air a certain date and you need to make sure that the shows will be delivered in-house in time for them to do that. You might be dealing with standards and practices, which is another department that tries to make sure that nothing untoward gets said, or we don't show too much in, you know, for mature audiences only. So as a, as an executive, you're dealing with all the internal departments, but you're also dealing with an agent who may call because their clients, their actor's dressing room is too small or something happens on set. You get a call from set and you need to go over and see what's happening. Literally, there is no telling what your day might be like involving a show in production, though there are, you know, a bunch of things that you have to do on a consistent basis. So both of these jobs, I like to think of as in-house producers, though real producers would probably be annoyed that I would say that, but it really is about the care and well-being and ultimately delivery of the shows to your network so they can go on the air and then be marketed properly and, you know, have press releases sent out about them and hopefully win some awards along the way. Oh my God. Could (laughs) you take us into a 
typical day for you, Rose Catherine, with the caveat oh my God. that a typical day now in November 2020 must be quite different from the way it looked a year ago before the coronavirus. Well, I would say to you that it turns out that a lot of what we do that takes place in an office is not that much different. Zoom has been really helpful. And if you told me that I'd be taking pitches by video conference on a daily basis, if you told me that a year ago, I would have laughed you out of the state. So on a daily basis, so my morning starts with reading some scripts because I probably started reading them last night and fell asleep and then had to get up early in the morning to start reading them again. I might come in, there are staff meetings. There are different departmental meetings that you might have. We might have a meeting with the marketing department to go over all of our shows and talk about what kind of things we're doing. Are we getting actors on morning shows? Is there a billboard up on Vine? Does somebody want to do an Instagram takeover while we're airing one of the episodes? Then we might get on with production and we talk about, you know, production issues. Well, guess what? There was a storm. It rained a few days and now we're having to switch the production schedule around. Again, a lot of the things that I'm talking about are not things that we are actually doing, but they are things that we need to know about because, again, they have to do with the well-being of our shows. I might go from that meeting to hear a pitch from writers who have an idea they think is right for BET. So I'll get on with the team and people will pitch us out something. And then after that, we might discuss it. We might decide we're going to let it settle, think about it overnight. And then I might go to a development meeting with my team where we sit, well, development and current meeting, where we sit and we go over every one of our projects that we have, whether they are currently in production or things that we have in development or things where we are negotiating deals. And we talk about every one of them, what needs to be done, what needs to be handled, what what state they're in. And then I might get a call that we need to screen a movie because somebody has a movie idea that they'd like to turn into a TV show. So perhaps we'd sit and screen a movie together. More often than not, we'd all watch the link at home at night as a part of our homework and then discuss the movie the next day and its potential for TV. I might have a meeting with our researchers who've done some research on a show and would like to be able to tell us, you know, give us some hints about things we might do or what it is our audience likes about that show, things we could maybe spend more time on or things we maybe should spend less time on. Boy, I'm trying to think of just on a daily basis. We might have people come in who just want to talk to us about the kinds of things that BET is looking for. So they're not coming to pitch anything. They're just coming to to find out what it is they should be pitching to us next time they call. I might go to a casting session where we're, say we're casting one of our shows. We might, so the casting department puts together their, with the producers, their favorite five actors. And so we go and we watch and we'll help pick which actor might be the lead in a show. Boy, is that not enough stuff? Literally. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm exhausted listening to you <laughs> and I'm not doing it. What is hot right now? Like, are there any trends that are happening now that are yes. worthy? Yeah. I mean, yeah. There's a couple of things that I think are kind of cool right now. One is really interesting storytelling around real life figures. And whether that's somebody doing a limited series about O.J. Simpson or, you know, a movie about a real life person or, of course, now I can't. Even, you know, HBO just did the thing on John Brown that's kind of a parody. Mm. But it feels like we figured out that people who have lived, lived and sometimes died have, have great stories. And it feels like people are really mining those In that same breath, I also see a lot of stories about just regular old people who may come from a culture that we are not aware of, like Atlanta, which really got into Atlanta for a young black man, you know, trying to figure out his life or Rami, the show about the Muslim American young man. And so you're sort of going along on his journey and what it's like for him being Muslim American at his age. So, you know, beyond the real life stories of biographical figures that we know, it's also the fun of getting to know a regular guy in his world and getting to know a little bit about their world. Limited series are hot right now where you decide, you know what, this is a great story. There's not a hundred episodes. There's not five seasons, but I can tell a really great story in 10 episodes. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to tell the story. So those are some things that I think are trending 
that we're trying to take advantage of at BET. Yeah. Could you break down for us, Rose Catherine, what was involved in getting one of the critically acclaimed shows in your portfolio off the page and into production, whether it was 20s or First Wives Club or American Soul? How long does it usually take? I'm going to talk about American Soul. It was a project that's near and dear to my heart. It took a while for that project because we went through like three leadership changes and me and my team would not give up on it. We just would not give up. By the way, it actually takes advantage of one of the things that I just mentioned. It is a story about Don Cornelius, the icon. But we decided that we were going to do it in a, a way that we thought would really work for our audience. So we didn't go straight biography. We decided to tell a story about his life. And he was a very tortured man and a very accomplished man. But also tell the story of Soul Train, a show that most of our viewers grew up watching and had a really soft and sentimental spot in their heart for. So first, the producers came in and said, we're thinking about doing this. We said, great, come in with a writer. So they called us a couple of times about writers they were interested in. And we kind of agreed on one and they worked with him to come up with a pitch. By the way, usually a writer comes in with the pitch. And so you don't have that extra step. Then we decided we liked the project and we were going to do it. A boss got fired. So then we had to wait to pitch it to the new boss. And then a boss got fired. Oh. <laughs> oh. So then we had to wait again to pitch it to the new boss. Our poor writer was so tired of pitching. But we finally convinced this new guy who actually brought in for the first time ever. He had, he had the writer pitch to the marketing team, the promo team to a bunch of other like creative type executives in the company to see if he could get buy-in from everyone. So that we haven't done that usually, but it really worked because people really like the idea. And then probably one of the most important things. And so the writer went off and wrote a script. We started thinking about casting early on because we were casting a real person. And so as much as you want a wonderful actor, you also want somebody who maybe looks a little bit like the person that yeah. you are casting. We had really wonderful choices. It came kind of down to two guys. One of them just owned the part. Like he really owned it. As one of our producers was Don Cornelius's son. And so talking about somebody who, you know, would be the hardest of, of judges of who could be like someone. Yep. We all fell in love with this one actor and we hired him. And, and also because the people, some of the people are real. Some of the people are um, amalgamations of a couple of people, but we, you know, we tried to find people that sort of looked like the people we were thinking about. So casting was really hard. Also, part of the cast was a young up and coming singing group. So we also knew that we needed a couple of people who sang and danced and acted. So those auditions were really fun because the people aren't just coming in to read. They're also yeah. singing and dancing for you as well. So that was great. And this, by the way, this is after the script was written and we did notes and we finally got it to a place. Then we go to cast it. And then we've got the producers that are finding a location, finding a place to shoot, looking at stages, showing us pictures of things they're going to build and what the Soul Train set is going to look like and what Don's home is going to look like. And then we start getting close to time to make the show. I actually skipped the fact that there's a writer's room at some point mm. and they're churning out scripts and we're doing notes because we actually shot 10 episodes. We went from a script to 10 episodes that time. So we didn't shoot a pilot. We actually cast the show and made a series. And so then you end up on set where there are actors. We hire directors to come and shoot each episode. Um, usually the director that you start out with, the director that, that does your early episodes kind of sets the template for how everything else will be done throughout the rest of the year. Even as we use different directors for different episodes, that person kind of sets the tone. By the way, if we had shot a pilot, the pilot director would be the person who sort of helps come up with the look and the feel and sets the tone. But when you're going straight to series, the guy who's doing the first couple episodes is the one that does that. And so we went and we shot the episodes. We learned things along the way. You learn things about, you know, your actors, what they do best, what they should be doing more of. You learn about the chemistry between actors. Like there were during, during the auditions, there were two people that had two guys that had a great, you know, 
man to man friendship. And we worked on some of the scripts to make sure that we put them in more scenes together because they were great. They were really good equals when it came to acting talent. So each one made the other one better. Their scenes would sing, really. And also, we liked that friendship. So we were able to sort of, again, as you're shooting, you're also making little adjustments to scripts. So we found more places for these two to be together in scenes because it was something that we liked and ultimately our audience really liked. And then comes the time when it goes on the air and you, your marketing team spends two or three months in advance. They've made promos. The press team is, you know, getting them on TV shows and morning talk shows and radio shows. And the digital team is sending stuff out through Twitter and Instagram. And it's all toward making sure that the audience knows the show is on and is going to come and watch it. And then on when you're talking about linear, then comes the moment where you put the show on the air and you hope that viewers find it. And if they find it and the ratings are great, you start all over Again, in a few months, you bring the writer's room back and they write more scripts. And if the audience doesn't find it, sometimes it goes away. And that goes back to the moments that I, that I was telling you, the worst moments are for me are when you have to tell people no to their project or tell them that their project is getting canceled. So how many seasons were there of American Soul? There were two seasons. And I'm really sad to say that it will not be coming back. It was not being renewed. We feel like we made a really wonderful show. And the audience that we had was incredibly loyal. But ultimately, as much fun as it is to make these shows, this is show business. And the shows have to be able to make a certain rating so they can bring in a certain amount of money and at least kind of pay for themselves. I think that's a very simplistic version of how the business works that I just said. But the higher the ratings, the better chance the show has it coming back. And the ratings just weren't high enough for us to keep it on. Oh. It's a beautiful show. And if you guys haven't seen it, please go to BET Plus or Video Dope On Demand and check out some of the episodes. Excellent. Great acting, wonderful story. Really good music and lots of people, you know, playing artists from the past. Love it. We'll include a link for sure in the show notes. Definitely. I would be remiss if I did not ask you how the coronavirus has affected this industry and, and is production of shows still able to happen? Um, We fortunately, after many, many months, got one of our shows back into production and they completed the first season of 10 episodes. And now we're starting another one at Thanksgiving and then another one in January. So it has been really interesting and very frustrating and very frightening. You know, we kept thinking we were going to start back in March. A lot of us some people didn't get to finish shooting what they were shooting. And a lot of people's shows got put on hold. And we kept thinking, oh, we're going to start in the summer. Oh, we're going to start in September. And, you know, we did start one in September and people have started going back to production. It is, you know, the utmost importance to all of us that we keep everybody involved in the shows healthy and safe. And Viacom, our company, and all the unions and all the other studios and networks came together to try to figure out what are the rules and regulations to make sure that we keep people safe on sets. When I first saw the plans, I was just like, this will never be. Like many of our shows are working with like a third of the people they usually work with, by the way, which means that those other two thirds of people are are not working. They're out of work. There are now rules about who can come to set. There's rules about where someone can stand on set. When one of the producers went through for me what they actually had to do to get approved by the unions to and Viacom to start production, I, I just couldn't believe that. Literally, you have to be able to tell them where every person on your set is going to be at any moment. So... These three producers are going to be over here by the monitor. These four extras, which, by the way, would have been 20 extras, but for coronavirus. So now we're going to do with four. They're going to be standing here. They're going to be in this area for the next two days. So literally from the PA, he will go between the office and this space. Literally, they had to be able to tell you where every person was going to be. Beyond that, there's testing. And I haven't had a coronavirus test. I hear that it's not 
great. But these are people that are now being tested every day or every other day who've had to get used to that. A lot of people are not allowed to go home, so they can't see their families. They're sort of staying in bubbles or semi-bubbles. It has it has changed a lot about what we do. I, though, am proud and happy that we could at least get some people back to work so that we can make some shows and entertain people with new product in the coming months. But it's really, it's really hard. There've been a couple of COVID cases that showed up and because of the really smart and thorough processes and protocols that were put in place, they were things that did not cause problems that, you know, people tested and were caught early enough not to have to shut down production. But it adds a whole layer of rules and regulations and slowing of movement. And I'm going to say a little bit of fear to this thing that is generally glorious and amazing when it can happen without such restrictions. But people are doing it and we're starting to see dailies and we're, we're making shows. And I guess it's, it's, we are human and humans are taught to persevere. And that is what we're doing. I can't wait until the coronavirus is, has gone away and we can all go back to doing what we were doing, having more people on set, being able to have more visitors on set, being able to have free movement around the set. As an executive, generally, I might go to set a couple times, depending on where it is, whether it's in town or out of town. You visit set a couple times a year, a couple times a season, but we aren't being allowed to travel at this moment. So we actually, I'd never seen this before. I don't know if they just figured this out in the last couple of months, but now we're getting these things where they will send us a link where we'll be able to watch the monitors where we might normally stand on set with the director looking at monitors. We'll be able to look at the monitors on our computers and our houses. Wow. Not the same as being on set, but at least we can kind of see what's going on. That is cool. Um, It is cool. I guess, you know, there are all kinds of innovations and all kinds of things that that we are learning. I don't know whether they were so expensive before that we didn't use them, but it is part of it is sad because you miss the human interaction and the human connection. But I'd rather that than not make any shows at all. I do believe that it's going to change how we do things because we have been working for nine months my team, a bunch of all the teams from home, and we're still able to get 99% of what we need done, done. So I think that this is going to make for some lasting changes in the industry. And we'll just have to see in the coming year or two, whether they were good changes to make or whether they were changes best served in, you know, traumatic circumstances. Yeah. Well, that is just great news, though, (laughs) that you're able to get some programming done. Absolutely. Because we need it. So this is by no means the first time you've worked at a big network. As I mentioned in the introduction, you've also worked at Paramount Network, at 20th Century Fox Television. Mm -hmm. What are the upsides and the downsides to working at a big network versus the smaller independent shops where you've also worked? Oh, it's kind of three really completely different things. And I will talk about the difference between a studio, a production company, and a network. So a network, we are the place where the project gets aired. So we are often the last to know certain things. Whereas if you're if you're a studio, you may see more drafts of things. You are the people that may come in with the writer producer to sell it to us. So when you work for the network, you're considered a buyer because you are buying ideas. So people often come to you. But again, you come to the creative process a little bit later. And as a generally as a network executive, you work a lot with internal departments to make sure your show gets on the air and is is marketed appropriately. When you work at a studio, you're kind of in the middle because you are the people that may hear the pitch first and then you go and sell it. So studios are sellers and they are often the people that are actually producing the project. They actually hire the line producer and the costumer and the wardrobe and the and the grip and they are the people that are actually making the show. They get to sell to all kinds of networks. So it means that they may get into business on all kinds of projects because they might want to sell something to Lifetime because it's women oriented 
or to BET because there are, it's a story about black people or to try to think of HBO because it's an interesting world, but they, at that point get to decide what they're going to try to sell and who they're going to try to sell it to. And both of those places, both a network and a studio are still corporations. They're still pretty big companies with staff meetings and rules and all kinds of, you get, you get the, some of the restrictions of a corporation, but you also get some of the benefits of a corporation. And then there are the independent production companies and they're much smaller. Generally, they're more nimble they can take a project to any studio, which means they can get help from a studio to help them pick the right network. I think that when you work for the smaller company, you get to do all kinds of things. And as you head upward toward the studio and to the network, it becomes a little bit more creatively limiting because you are, you know, focused more on one thing. When you're a production company, basically the sky's the limit you may not make as much money because you often only get paid when you are making a show. When you work at a studio or network, you are an executive there. So you get, you get more regular salaries. However, when you are on a production company, when you make it big, you make it really big. And the upside potential for the money making part of it is huge. You sell a hit show, you may never have to work again. And I have enjoyed working at all three kinds of entities for different reasons and different times in my career. I think that I like working at the network most because that's when you're the closest to actually getting something on the air. Mm. I think that when you work at a production company, you may get to spend hours with the writer talking to them and working with them creatively. And we don't get that same amount of time at a network because it comes in again, a little bit more formed. Got it. That was great. Thank you so much for laying that out. I wanted to ask you, Bruce Catherine, because I know you have been, you've been involved in all kinds of, and are involved in all kinds of organizations in your free time, Mm -hmm. whatever free time you may have. And (laughs) one of them, you've been a board member and a treasurer at the nonprofit Color Entertainment, mm-hmm. which is dedicated to maximizing the potential of executives of color in the entertainment business. But what advice do you have for our young listeners today who are at the beginning of their careers? They aren't executives yet, especially our young black female listeners who would one day like to follow in your footsteps. Where do you think the best opportunities are for these bright young women to start building their careers? What do you wish you had known when you were their age? Well, I would say that networking is the most important thing anyone can do in this business. So you want to believe that you have some God-given creative talent, whether you're a writer, director, or an executive. You, you, you need to start out believing that or else you should just run away. But beyond that, the things that you can do for yourself are networking. And that is meeting everybody you can along the way who you will probably run into them later because that's how this business works. Somebody that you gave a job this week may give you, <laughs> may be the, the person that gives you a job a year later. I've had that happen to me plenty of times, but it's networking. It's networking for information. It's networking. So you have role models. It is reading and following the careers of the people that you are interested in. Even if you can't talk to them, you can find so much information online. You can go to company websites and read about people so you can see what their journey was to get where they are. But it really is just making sure you learn as much as you can about the business. And again, with the books that are out there, with the information online, with TV shows, with even watching Entertainment Tonight and hearing different things will give you information about this career that you want to have. And I think given the George Floyd situation, America has paid a lot more attention to some of the things that happen in the black culture. And we are often told you've got to work twice as hard and be twice as good to get half as far that applies here too. And since a little hard work never hurt anybody, I don't think that's bad advice to give, but it really is just making sure that you're ready for whatever opportunity is presented to you when it's presented to you, but also making sure that you're doing the right things to have those opportunities presented to you. How can Uh, they identify other 
black female executives in the entertainment industry? Is there, uh, for example, going to the color entertainment group website, would they then be able to identify where these women are working or so that they could potentially reach out and maybe have a virtual networking call with them? You can, but I would say that you should know, and you know, I've been very transparent. The women that give back, give back a lot already. And so for them to get in an email from someone they don't know that they haven't met, that they don't know a lot about, you're going to have to really stand out. And I don't know how to tell you to stand out. But each of your own personalities might be able to help you figure that out. And you have to decide what it is that you want. You might say, I have one question. Do you have five minutes for me to ask this one question? And maybe that person can give you five minutes. Generally, the kind of people that give back like that are already giving back. Like they've already got mentors. There are so many organizations, though, in all over. There's women in film, I think, in a bunch of cities. There's a lot of entertainment organizations just around the country that you should associate yourself with because that's when you'll first start the networking. Whether you're studying entertainment in some form in college or not, if you're not, then still associate yourself with the people that are because your networking isn't always up high and higher than you. And in sometimes it's right around you because those are the people that are going to grow up with you and make a way for themselves and a place for themselves in the business at the same time you are. Oh, I know what else if you can afford it. And by the way, half of it is free. Read the trades every day. Read what's happening on deadline. Read what's happening on the Hollywood Reporter or the Daily Variety. You'll see people there. You'll see what people are doing. You'll see trends. You'll see pictures of people. So you'll get to see and know who's who that way. But it's, I think a lot of this is very easy to research online. But also know that there are a thousand other people at any moment trying to do the same thing you are. And I, I say that to say that it's difficult, but it's certainly not impossible at all. I'm a little country girl from Brandywine, Maryland, who wanted to make TV. I didn't even know what that meant until I was in grad school. So it can be done. You just have to really spend time. And that often means doing the extra stuff, doing the stuff that you don't get graded on, doing the stuff that your family won't care that you're doing. You know, it's watching the actor studio. It's watching any of the TV shows that do interviews with entertainment related people. There's just so much information now and you've got the ability to get it. But you really have to decide that that's what you want to do. And then you got to figure out how to get yourself to L.A. or Atlanta or New York so you can be around the people that are really making the shows. Great points. Thank you so much. So I just want to flashback very quickly, Rose Catherine, to when you were in college, this young girl from Brandywine, Maryland, who went to Princeton University and you majored in sociology with a concentration in communications and economics. Did you know what you were going to do with that degree when you graduated? Absolutely not. I thought I might be a lawyer because I decided that a news anchor, I wasn't a good actress and news anchors, I found out had to go start out in small towns. And I grew up in a small town and I was like, there is no way I am leaving here to go to some other small town. So I was like, forget TV. I'm going to be a lawyer. And at college, my dorm (laughs) happened to be the place where our college radio station was. So I ended up, yeah, that's so weird. PWPRB. Princeton radio. It's actually, it's bigger than most college radio stations, but I ended up working there. I could (laughs) not go out in the cold and still go do my hobby at the radio station. And that made me realize that I really did like the idea of making content. And so then I ended up getting an internship with New Jersey Network, which was the closest place around. And that's when I learned about all the things that go on where people make television, like there's a whole bunch of people behind the scene. And that's when I figured out that I needed to get to maybe New York or LA to be around the people that actually made television. So no, I kind of had no idea. None of those things was really supposed to take me toward television. But again, what it did, it was a wonderful liberal arts education. And I 
again, I learned to think, I learned to analyze, I learned to be open to other people's opinions. And I, I learned about life. And probably the one thing that I wish I did was enjoy those things a little more. I, I enjoyed my college experience and I had a good time, but I wish that I had spent more time enjoying the learning for learning's sake. Oh yeah. I totally get that. So I have two final questions for you that I try to ask all time for coffee guests. Could you share a time in your professional life when you struggled? I have been very open with my listeners over the years about the fact that I was fired twice in my 40s. And although they were extremely painful experiences, they were also incredible opportunities for me to reinvent myself and move in directions I might not have otherwise explored. And most important here, Rose Catherine, is how you persevered and a lesson that you may have learned in the process. Boy, why did these stories always start with getting fired? <laughs> yeah. Because I guess, I guess that's when we learn the most. I actually, some people say that I was laid off. I worked for a company that got taken over by another company and I one day no longer had my job. So you can call that laid off, but I call it fired because I had a job that I really liked at a place I really liked that paid me a salary I really liked working with people I really liked. And then one day someone else had that job and, and nobody asked me. So I was totally thrown because I thought that if you work hard and do what you're supposed to do and have a modicum of success, that you rise up through the ranks, not find yourself fired. And again, these jobs are sub subjective. Success is subjective. So I, in fact, there's a funny story of when I got fired, I didn't even understand what was happening to me. The new boss at the company called me down to his office and I went down and he said, Rose Catherine, we're going to move in another direction. And I, with my pen in hand, opened my notebook and said, okay, what do you want me to do? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it never crossed my mind. Even though we all know when a new company comes in and there's a merger that people lose their jobs, it never crossed my mind that that could be me. And it was funny later when I realized, like the look on his face, it took me a minute to figure I'm like, oh, a new direction. Oh my God, I'm just <gasps> taking away my job. So I was horrified. I felt like a failure. Fortunately for me, and in many jobs in this business, I was under contract, which meant they still had to pay me, even though they took my job, which is, which is also even a weird slap in the face because it's like, you're going to pay me not to work? Am I so bad that you're going to pay me to go away? But after I kind of got over the pain and after I recognized that I wasn't a bad executive. I maybe was just not the right executive for that company. Once I, again, fortunately realized that my check would keep coming and I did not have to freak out about, you know, my livelihood, which I was very fortunate because I think most people have to worry about their livelihoods. I was able to sort of take it in for a moment and see it as a time to reset and rejuvenate. I had never been at home during the day. I had moved and had lived in a place for a couple of years. I'd never once been at home during the day on the, in the week. And I actually met my mailman for the first time. I met some neighbors. I took up tennis for a minute. I saw matinee movies for the first time and I traveled and I believed that at some point there would be another job that I loved with people I love doing what I love, paying me what I wanted, that that would happen for me again. But it took a moment for me to relax and recognize that the hard work that I had put in and that the reputation that I had developed would help me maintain a job in the entertainment business. But that first 10 minutes after I realized that I was being fired and I had to go back to my office and figure out what to do was like the hardest 10 minutes ever. And, and then you realize that you live through it. And I learned some things. I learned that when the new people come in, you kind of have to try to learn their environment and maybe not stick so hard to your old environment because the old environment is gone. You learn that sometimes you have to start over. These were people that didn't know me. And so I kind of needed to prove myself again to them, even though I didn't think it was fair. That's kind of how it works. 
And I learned that those people that are really your friends who you have good relationships with that are genuine will be there for you in your time of need. And that that there's also a whole lot of people that that won't, but that you can survive all of it and still find yourself working 20 years later. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. You could just replace Rose Catherine with Andrea. <laughs> yeah, that, that's listen, I, I have been there. Totally relate to that. The sting for me lasted more than 10 minutes, but the <laughs> shock, holy cow, that was, but I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. You've got talents, skills, and as one door closes, as they say, another opens. Yep. Final question. If you could go back to college, back to Princeton and do it all over again, but based on the immense wisdom that you have now, what advice would you give yourself? Probably really just to enjoy that moment in your life where your only job is to learn and to learn maybe some different things that had nothing to do with, little did I know it had nothing to do with the track that I was on, but to allow myself to think it's okay to take subjects that had nothing to do with anything that I thought I would be doing to enjoy meeting people that I might never see again or never work with again, just to really enjoy the college experience as again, a part of living, which I think is again, really important to being able to being a good executive in a creative field. Mm, fantastic. What a perfect note to end on. Rose Catherine, I want to thank you so much for making so much time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. This has been just incredible. Perfect. I was pleased to be invited to be a part of your show. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.